Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni DiGiovanni and joining me for an E3 extravaganza is Nicholas Kennedy. G'day, hi. Fiona Bartholomeus. Hello. And the Mainstream stalwart, Adam Christou. I'm here to kill chaos. We're here to talk about E3 this year. It was a different, interesting look at the uh, game convention. Uh, it didn't happen in real life. It happened all on the streams. A lot of the big uh, companies came out and were part of that uh, exhibition. And we're going to talk about our highlights, our lowlights, and things we just wish we knew a little bit more about. This is Mainstream episode 25. And if you haven't listened to Mainstream before, it's where we discuss those high-profile games, like the stuff that comes out at E3, uh, and some of the, uh, the things that we've been playing. But this one, we're going to be talking about our impressions of E3. Uh, let's jump in. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. All right, E3, it's been and gone, usually at terrible times for Australians to take part in if you were watching the streams. Uh, Fiona, can you tell us a little bit about what you saw at E3 that really caught your attention and you thought uh, is starting to get you very excited? Well, as some of you probably know from when we did our Game of the Generation mainstream, I'm a huge Zelda fan, so I was very excited when we finally got a little bit more of Breath of the Wild 2. It wasn't a huge amount but I was still really excited anyway. So that game definitely most excited about. Another one that popped up that completely took me by surprise was a little indie game called The Gecko Gods. And you just play as a gecko solving puzzles, which is amazing, which I love so much and I'm very excited for. What, what do you think is it that kind of caught your eye and that really made you go, whoa, hang on, Gecko Gods? Well, I, I love puzzles and I think that's because of playing Zelda growing up and other like, uh, PC games that are very puzzled based. So just having just the weird thing of being a lizard. Also the the art style and the graphics is really nice as well. So that's just that's just really exciting. It looks super nice and wholesome and I can't wait. But do you know like what is the actual gameplay? So it's like a puzzle game. Do you know what form the puzzles take? I, I didn't see a lot of this one myself. So I'm just curious like what the what you actually do in it. The gameplay like it was very quite short. Uh, from what I saw the YouTube video, but it was like a third person and you control the lizard and I, you can like jump onto like a, uh, like a ladder that's hanging there and like crawl around the ladder and then like parkour off onto the ground and then crawl up walls and then use your tongue to move things around to do puzzles. Yeah. So it's almost like a 3d platformer via Yeah, it's kind of like a platform. Yeah, it's awesome. Such a weird combination. Fee, we only saw like a really small snippet of Breath of the Wild 2. Um, In that, that was enough for you to get super excited about what's coming up in, in 2022. It really was. Like, I know there were some people that were quite disappointed on how short it is. But like, for me, because we don't get a lot of stuff for Zelda in general, just a small, like a small bit I get happy about. But the thing is with what they showed in the trailer with the little islands in the sky and everything rising up, I'm like, okay, are we somehow going back to Skyward era? Is that what's somehow happening? And like one of the monsters was very reminiscent of Skyward Sword. So I'm like, what is happening? So it gives me time to like think about theories that probably won't happen, but it's exciting to see everyone get really excited about what might happen and we've got 
I think some comments from Nintendo talking about how what they've tried to do with the world is that it's like a, a whole world in the sky above Hyrule. So maybe the Hyrule that we knew from Breath of the Wild 1. Um, and I mean, for me personally, I don't really know how I feel about that. I, I would hope to see like a lot if we're going to get the same world maybe again with some added onto it. But obviously I'm sure they have a lot in mind about how they can completely change the way that we look at that world. Um, obviously a lot more hang glider time maybe. Um, but yeah, that was just an interesting comment that I saw come out of Nintendo about the way that they're growing that space and, and, and kind of changing how we move around that world. I just can't wait to throw myself off the edge of one of the little islands and pull the paraglider out at the very last second. I think thinking of like jumping off and falling, I can't help but think that the trailer for Breath of the Wild 2 just launched into Zelda falling into a pit of darkness within the first 10 <laughs> seconds. And I think after kind of my almost years of feverish fan expectation that finally maybe we might see a playable Zelda, that felt like a bit of a of whiplash. I know that there's a lot of um, fan speculation that Zelda will still be playable, that they're holding on to, to something, that we're not seeing things for specific reasons so that they can kind of hold back and surprise us. I know that there was a, um, a report going around that Nintendo were not revealing the real name of the sequel of Breath of the Wild 2 because it will give too much away in terms of what the plot's about. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I found myself kind of excited but also a little bit underwhelmed with how much we got and yeah I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens with it let's talk about um things that maybe you thought we could have had a bit more um from your perspective fee what were the things that you you were a little bit underwhelmed about i'm not too sure to be honest because going into e3 it's mostly normally nintendo that i wait out for because i grew up with the nintendo platforms and i never know what they're going to do i mean i kind of wish we had a bit more Pokemon because we know that there's the couple like we've got the Diamond Pearl remake coming out which I know some people aren't exactly happy with um, and then we've got the Pokemon Arceus which I'm quite excited for because it's quite different from the previous game so I wouldn't think I would have liked a bit more about that because we only got a shorter trailer last year but otherwise I tend to not have huge expectations for E3 just because you really don't know what you're going to get, especially with this year and last year with all the companies battling the pandemic as well. A lot of 2023 or 2022 uh, release dates I saw at the end of a lot of trailers this year. Fee, what, do you, what was something that you came uh, out of E3 and thought, oh, that's a little bit underwhelming? Definitely huge fan of Zelda, but not a huge fan of how Nintendo has been handling the 35 years anniversary. They did so much for Mario. Like they had the 3D All-Stars. They had a couple more games, sales. They had a, even a combination with Animal Crossing. Silence for Zelda. Everyone thought they were waiting until E3 to announce something. All we got was the Game & Watch, which on one hand is like pretty cool, but it's not what we wanted. A lot of people were hoping they'd be doing remakes of like Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, even though we got some fairly recently, people thought we would be getting those on the Switch. People thought we would have an Animal Crossing crossover as well. We didn't have anything, which I'm a bit bit disappointed about on Nintendo's behalf. Yeah, um, I mean, we do have this Skyward Sword mm. remaster that's coming out um, for the Switch relatively soon. So you could say that maybe they're playing that pretty um, conservatively as is, you know, what, as is, you know, Nintendo is wont to do. Um, so we'll get Skyward Sword 
maybe then we'll hear about Wind Waker, maybe then we'll hear about Twilight Princess. It's hard to say with them, but also maybe they just don't care and they're happy, you know, sitting on their big old pile of Switch money. That would be so sad. I think it's interesting because they sort of set the precedent with the Super Mario 3D All-Stars and I think a lot of people expected there would be something similar coming out uh, because of that in the context of the uh, you know the old Mario All-Stars series that kind of makes a bit more sense in that there never was really a Zelda All-Stars but I don't know it's hard to to make expectations meet sometimes sit down for a chat with your pals in video games this is mainstream by pixel sift Adam E3, very late at night. What happened? What were you excited for? Uh, what was the thing uh, that you've been talking about since the end of E3? Well, um, I guess to start off with, yes, late at night, and I did not stay up to watch any of that. Uh, there, there was nothing you could do in the world that was going to make me get up at 4am in the morning to watch Jeff Keighley and his sneakers show off a bunch of trailers. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I did watch everything in the end. I just kind of wanted to get a feel of what was getting revealed and announced and kind of what would line up with a couple of the leaks and rumors that we'd seen. And what ended up surprising me the most and, and got me the most excited was probably like the thing that I cared about the least going into E3 and was kind of very skeptical about. And that is Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origins, uh, which was part of the Square Enix uh, showcase and was honestly the weirdest games trailer I've seen in a while. Um, so it seems to be some sort of, uh, I guess, like prequel uh, or reimagining of, of parts of the story of Final Fantasy 1 all the way back from the 80s. Um, but with like a very action combat focused, it's a collaborative game between uh, Square Enix and the developers behind Neo. Um, and so it has kind of like a very Dark Souls kind of intense combat style. But the trailer was just like the most loopiest thing I've seen in a while. So Tetsuya Nomura is the creative producer behind this game, well known for Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy VII Remake, generally the most extra person in Square Enix history. But the trailer had the most generic, like, like Abercrombie and Fitch dudes just kind of strolling up in t-shirts with big swords, proclaiming that they're here to kill chaos over and over and over while the most intense music happened. And then suddenly Garland from Final Fantasy 1 is there and he, he is chaos. And it was just like, I think they said chaos maybe eight or nine times in the trailer. It became instantly memed. Um, but at the same time, I was like, I'm here for this. It's super camp. It's over the top. It's ridiculous. It's silly. It looks pretty bad, uh, but I don't care. I'm having fun watching this thing. And I think that is kind of a nice breath of fresh air in what is kind of a very serious kind of consumer trade show at the end of the day where everyone is like paying, like being like, oh my God, our game about shooting zombies is the most important cultural icon here. But no, really, I just want dudes wearing t-shirts wanting here to kill chaos. Yeah, I um, isn't there a, uh, a demo out for, for that game? Have you checked that out yet, Adam? Uh, so it's downloading on my PlayStation 5 now, but I've watched some people streaming it and it actually kind of looks really snappy and really fun. So I, I, I'm really excited to dive into the the demo because it looks kind of like it has some of the, the flow and rhythm of a Final Fantasy VII Remake, but with that kind of very intense sort of, you know, it's all in the moment action. So there's no pause or slow down functions like in Remake. 
Um, and it seems to be very Soulsian in the way that it plays with uh, how much damage you receive and how much damage enemies take. And then there's also a stagger meter sort of ability in this game as well, which reminds me a lot of the combat in Sekiro. So um, I loved Sekiro, um, Shadows Die Twice, so I'm really looking forward to kind of digging into this demo and having a play of it. It's, I, I'm surprised by how much I am taken by this game that kind of should be garbage, but kind of looks really fun. Um, maybe it'll be like a kind of cult camp classic at the end of the day. I don't know. I think just, Adam, it ticks a lot of boxes for you. It's one, Final Fantasy. It's two, Souls-like. It's fashion for number three. So, you know, it's like that's, that's an Adam game. The fashion is bad, though. Yeah, but, <laughs> like, but you know it gets better. You know it gets better. There's going to be belts for days. Oh, belts and and pockets in odd locations. I'm very excited. Sign me up, Square. Um, well, what is something that you looked at now after watching everything um, that you thought, oh, look, that didn't come out exactly what I expected it would be? To be honest with you, I was a little bit disappointed with most of the Nintendo showcase. And I think it was because I sort of... Um, jumped into the narrative and expectation that something around the rumors around the switch pro would materialize into us finding out more information and so when we got none of that i was a little bit kind of let down to be honest i really wanted to kind of hear more about what a switch pro might look like or an updated switch would be i love my nintendo switch but there is a bit of a struggle with me playing it at the moment because i just like i really wish monster hunter rise was 60 fps i don't know how else to put it it's like i i play games on the switch and kind of put up with the the kind of lower fidelity and frame rate issues, which is fine. But it, it in terms of like action combat games, like having a higher frame rate is really valuable. And I just think that, you know, like I think of um, Hyrule Warriors, um, which came out really recently, um, would be so much better if it had like, you know, just like stable frame rate and was just a lot more solid to play. And so like, I kind of want to dive back into my Switch with a whole bunch of games that I've had kind of okay experiences with, but see them at a better fidelity. And I think I was just wishing for something like that. I feel like those people that always hang on wanting a Bloodborne remaster for the PC or whatever, and they're never going to get it. Definitely the Switch Pro would be pretty good, considering that we get all these ports from all these other consoles. Like you said, the frame rate doesn't quite match up. Uh, do, you, do you reckon that we'll get one like announced later this year, or is it in the future look i i think we'll still get an announcement of a switch pro maybe there was a smart move to actually not do anything at e3 um and to kind of avoid i guess like uh just the cacophony of everyone else announcing everything else around it it's it's easy to kind of get lost in the mix especially if like you know um a bunch of other stuff is getting announced and yeah, I mean, like Nintendo did do some really interesting announcements. I think the Metroid Dread announcement is quite interesting. The first new 2D Metroid game in 19 years is nothing to kind of sneeze at. And I think fans of that series have been waiting a really long time now to just get any information on new Metroid. So that's kind of interesting. I think it's interesting that Metroid Dread talking about that is that, yes, there has been such a long time between drinks for the Metroid series. But in fact, it'll, this game will have to be quite phenomenal and push a lot of things because other games other uh series like uh dead cells like uh hollow knight like they've really pushed the metroidvania genre forward so if this game comes out and, and isn't sort of incorporating some of those innovations in there i think we will we'll be wondering what was the weight worth yeah like that's my thought as well it's like i was watching metroid dread gameplay footage and i was like oh I don't know. 
And then I, the whole time I was like, I kind of just want to hear more about Hollow Knight Silk Song at this point. Like, that's the one I'm really excited for. Like, can't wait until we get more concrete info on Hollow Knight sequel, um, which is kind of really weird for someone like me who's been such a long time fan of Metroid and just the Metroidvania genre in general to kind of look at a reveal of a brand new Metroid game and be like, yeah, but what's happening with Silk Song? Um, so for you, Adam, what was something that was teased that you uh, really excited for, on the hook for, uh, can't wait to learn more about? Um, I cannot believe I'm going to say this, uh, but and I've never played one of these games properly, but Halo Infinite's multiplayer looked really fun, and I cannot believe I'm excited for it. I've never played a Halo game, but looking at some of that gameplay footage, I was kind of really pumped for it, and, and yeah, I was just like, why do I want to play a Halo game? This looks really fun, though. Sign me up. And I also found myself looking at Rainbow Six Extraction, which was, you know, the formerly titled Rainbow Six Quarantine. I wonder why they changed that. Um, which is like, a, I guess, a spinoff of the Rainbow Six series, but you're kind of extracting people that have been infected by an alien virus or something. And I hate those games, but that kind of looked fun in like a co-op kind of shooter sense. So I'm intrigued by that. I mean, like E3 this year was like an ocean of co-op shooters and none of them really inspired me. But the 15 minutes of preview footage I saw for Rainbow Six Extraction made me intrigued in a way that I was confused by. So who knows? Uh, So that's Adam's take on E3 2021. You're listening to Mainstream by Pixelsift. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. Nick, uh, you uh, have a a veritable list, I'm sure, of things that were exciting for you. Can you start us off? What was the thing that you were most excited to see in E3 this year? Yeah, so I mean, I I guess I got to preface all of this with um, I don't currently own a a next-gen console. So the way that I'm looking at E3 this year is kind of like a... All right, guys, what you got for me? Come on, whet my appetite. What's going to be the thing, you know, to get me to pick up a new Xbox or a, or a PlayStation um, to finally, you know, put down that money? And I guess for me, uh, it feels a little bit predictable, but I was just really taken with Xbox's presence this year, Microsoft's presence. I mean, the work they've done in the past couple of years, picking up, uh, you know, all of these studios and the massive deal with Bethesda, I think we really saw that come into fruition with their... Um, you know their presentation this year um and there is just you know innumerable little trailers and snippets both big and small that i think set up a lot of interesting things for the next you know for 2022 2023 and even maybe some releases this year and for me uh the one that really stood out the most um was one of the ones that they led with and that was stalker 2 you know i um I'm I'm a big you know sim shooter guy. I love uh, games that um, like to you know take their time and really um, you know steep you in a place. And you know Stalker is kind of one of the cult classics of you know that method of uh, of game design. And so when you know when they came out and they gave us both a lot of gameplay, I feel from I mean which looked a little bit constructive, but a lot of gameplay from Stalker Two and also a really good vibe piece, I think, of all these guys sitting around a fire sharing tales about the zone. Um, You just had a nice quiet moment of a guy tinkering with a radio and dancing. And we also got what looked like the reveal of maybe the villain of the game. It was just like a really well-packaged, 
you know, I guess, introduction to what they're trying to do with that game. And it, you know, one of the earliest memories I have is looking at a PC gamer magazine um, back in like 2004 or something and reading it, or maybe it was 2005 and reading about Stalker 1 that had been in development hell for the majority of its development and then finally came out and no one expected that to happen. It went on to become this kind of, you know, cult game. It's got Call of Pripyat and Clear Sky and a massive modding community behind it now. And for it to come along and kind of be one of the leading games, you know, for a, a Microsoft showcase, um, I think is just really cool. And I just think it looks like a lot of fun. Um, it looks like they've really hit the nail on the head with what that game could should or could be just in terms of maintaining the vibe of a stalker game so yeah for me like i, I think that was probably the most exciting thing that i saw what didn't hit the mark for you i feel like a, i feel like we've turned them into a little bit of a punching bag for this pod but you know i just something about nintendo man i i don't i, I don't know it it just feels like they were playing their cards really close to their chest with some things we've got you know, no hardware reveals. And I know that they said ahead of time that this was going to be a software-focused presentation. We got a couple minutes of, you know, a, a couple seconds of Breath of the Wild too. And, you know, while I understand that there's probably a lot that that game still has to show, what they have shown hasn't really, in you know, imbued in me any sense of like, oh, wow, I really want to know more about that because of what I've seen. I want to know more about it because it's Breath of the Wild 2, not necessarily because of what they've said or, you know, done with it so far. You know, so I'm op operating kind of just on faith with that game. So it feels a little, I've got a bit of a strange relationship to it so far. But outside of that, you know, WarioWare, that's fun. But the gameplay that we saw from that kind of looked like something you could just do on a, on like a, a Nintendo DS maybe. So I hope that they, you know, have some exciting things planned for that. But yeah, I don't know. It just felt a little bit strange watching um, Nintendo this year. Um, and I guess as an aside outside of Nintendo's presentation, also uh, 5.6, which I think is, you know, just pivoting over to Ubisoft, kind of maybe the last time they can get away with, making a game like what they've been doing with Far Cry for the past couple of years. You know, three and four had really cool central villainous performances, and it seems like they're trying to pull that off again with um, Giancarlo Esposito, who's, you know, a tremendous actor. But, um, you know, I, I just think that the weird tonal tightrope that they're trying to walk with Far Cry now doesn't seem like it's going to last forever. Um, what is the rest of the pod think about that adam do you have any thoughts on that oh dude it i don't know about far cry i don't like the way that ubisoft try to like sell that franchise as a whole and yeah i i watched a lot of the footage for it and i was like oh dude i don't know i mean giancarlo is just going in there like hamming it up and trying to like steal as much screen time as possible but i just when they revealed that they're going to be doing a DLC pack where you get to play as all the former villains, I just kind of put my hands up in the air and was like, oh God, I just don't care about Far Cry at all at this point. Like, I just, I could be less excited by, like, I honestly can't think of something that I was more like, uh, 
it didn't immediately jump out that they had a, a whole bunch of new ideas. It's like, well, here's our greatest hits. Why don't you check this out if you try to sell this game? So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think as well, you know, there was the 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 toing and froing with that game about talking about how they initially were like, oh, well, it's not political. Well, it is political. Like, obviously, every game is political. Uh, you know, to deny that fact is severe naivety at the most generous or really, uh, you know, just not not truthful yeah um to to say that so uh yeah that's that's going to be an interesting one to watch to see whether or not that hits uh the way that people expect but people may just enjoy it because it's a sandbox shooter and they just want to jump in there and blow things up so true i just feel like the only thing more underwhelming than than far cry 6's reveal was the fact that we're going to be dealing with like another year of assassin's creed valhalla content in a game that's already 130 hours long i do not want to ever go back to it and i like that game uh, nick was there something there that you looked at and thought uh oh this is this is surprising it's caught me by surprise i really want to learn more I'm just returning to the uh to the xbox showcase you know uh arcane i believe it's arcane leon it was the uh their new game that they closed the whole uh conference with uh which is called redfall and i just think that you know there's this thing that uh, game cinematic trailers or constructed gameplay trailers like to do where they like to have the uh, the quippy team of, uh, you know, um, heroes that are kind of fighting and talking and having fun and all that kind of thing. And I think that they can so often come off as uh, like eye-gougingly irritating. I'm reminded of like the Anthem, the Anthem gameplay trailer from a couple of years ago, um, which didn't really engender any kind of, uh, you know, um, I guess faith uh, in people watching it back then but yeah redfall i think just did that really good thing that cinematic trailers need to do where they uh they you know they welcome you into the world they show you the stakes they show you the characters but they also show you the uh implications of what the gameplay could be like and implications of what your abilities could be like i'm thinking about you know i don't know any of the characters name but the um the woman that had you know the kind of mystical purple abilities the sniper guy the the girl that had a robot dog you know i i just think that it was a really well constructed trailer it had a little bit of you know humor and personality in it um and you know my ability to not be taken away with a cinematic trailer was really tested i think with redfall i am just extremely interested to see what that game ends up being does anyone else have feelings about redfall especially i was gonna say i think i missed that trailer but from what you're saying it sounds really cool do we know much of what it's about yet or is it still kind of vague yeah so i would definitely recommend that you go and watch it i recommend anyone who maybe missed it go and watch it it's basically the setting of it is is you're in i believe it's massachusetts and it seems like it's a town called redfall that has been beset upon by like a horde of vampires who are kind of taking over the land and one of the most interesting things about the trailer was that there were still human enemies that you were that were shooting at the hero characters and there was a line that one of the enemy characters barks out partway through the trailer where they're like says something to the effect of like they'll just kill you anyway so which says to me that what the vampires have managed to do is you know build an army of kind of people who will fight for them for fear of their own lives being taken away which i think is like already some really interesting world building um for that game and it, it's just those little details i think about the redfall trailer that that give me faith in what it could end up being um i 
I know that we did, like Adam mentioned already, get a glut of co like four-player co-op horde zombie, you know, whatever sci-fi shooter games. And like the industry has really been going through a bit of a phase with those at the moment. But of all the ones that we saw this year, Redfall definitely stood out. And, um, you know, instead of perhaps something like Back for Blood, which just looks, I don't know, it kind of just looks annoying. I don't know. But yeah, that's what stood out to me and what, what I kind of want to know a little bit more about, for sure. Yeah, look, I, I thought the Redfall trailer looked really cool. I mean, there was one little thing that I noted when I was watching it, which was like, and this is just a thing with wider games writing in general and the tone in games at the moment, which was, I just wrote down, like, it's got a case of the MCUs, which is like whenever I kind of see a game that tries to do like snappy kind of quippy dialogue writing as though everyone just watched the guardians of the galaxy films on repeat and so like that was kind of coming through a little bit with redfall but not in the way that it was in some of the other trailers that we saw and i have to say that the characters and and setting that was built so quickly in that cinematic trailer had me pretty intrigued as well i mean like it it looks like a fascinating world these vampires don't look like normal vampires they're quite twisted and weird and have strange proportions um there's a cute little robot thing going on it's like and, and of course it's arcane as well the people behind prey and dishonored so i have a lot of faith in them to do something ingenious and sort of unique with whatever this premise is going to be i kind of expect them to kind of do their weird twist on whatever this is going to be that will kind of make it stand out from from the yeah the glut of four-person co-op um, kind of horde shooters or whatever that we saw that just kept coming out with every trailer this year. I think one of the words that's getting mentioned along with Redfall is um, open world as well. I don't quote me on that, but um, no, 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 that is the case. Yeah, yeah, and that to me, you know, I went, you know, for most people, whenever you think of four-person horde shooters, you're thinking Left for Dead, and obviously that's living on with Back for Blood. But um, those games, while they, they live and die on the kind of pacing and the linearity of their levels and how they're constructed, and that's kind of what makes them great. So to see what Arcane, Arcane Leon can do with an open world uh, sort of situation, it's, it almost makes me think of, are we going to get something that feels kind of like maybe the division, sort of like open world with um, pockets of, you know, po pockets of enemies or um, with obviously, you know, probably set pieces created in that world. Um, and oh, man, also, I just love Massachusetts as a setting. Like, give me that, give me that, give me those King vibes. Give me that, like, you know, <laughs> that um, sort of good old sort of American red brick, uh, red brick township sort of, you know, gone to the dogs sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so definitely, definitely a ton that can come from that, I, I think. So, yeah, but it's interesting that you mentioned before, uh, MCU, cause we haven't really touched too much on, uh, Square Enix, um, Square Enix's presence this year. And, you know, one of their major announcements was, um, was the, the Guardians of the Galaxy game. And uh, oh, I was going to say, I know licensing is a thing, but like, I was expecting to see the Marvel Guardians of the Galaxy from the films and then they've all got different faces. I mean, similar, but. Not the same. Oh, surely we're used to that now, though, with the uh, the Avengers game that came out where everyone was like a stand-in doll. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. I'm interested in it, but it's one of those games where it could be going either way, where it could be good or it could be like the Avengers game where it's not as good as what people are expecting. So I'm probably just going to sit on it for a while. It seems to me like they maybe learned 
a lesson uh, perhaps from the fact that like the thing that everybody loved the most about that Avengers game was the, the single player content. And uh, I believe the character's name is Camilla Khan, um, who just really spoke to people and had tremendous voice acting. Just on the the fact that all the, um they all look like, you know, dime store, dime store stand-ins for, um you know, Peter Quill and the other, the other characters. It's like, I guess you kind of do want to leave the door open, I suppose, for maybe allowing different interpretations of those characters because they've been around for a long time. They've been drawn in comics by, I, uh, as I understand it, like multiple different people. And, you know, to allow for space to maybe have like slightly different takes on those tar- characters would be cool. It's just a shame that they're all kind of filtered through whatever engine Square Enix is using, which just kind of makes everyone look realistic, but like kind of not. They sort of look like weird bad action figures i don't i don't know it's it's a it's a weird look so uh, i would i would like to maybe see a different interpretation on them but it doesn't seem like square maybe has that kind of creativity for that sort of character interpretation right now i'm not sure yeah i don't know maybe tetsuya nomura should have spent some time on guardians of the galaxy instead of working on stranger of paradise like we could get more yeah more belts for star lord but um yeah, I, I, that game looked weird. Like, some of the combat actually looked kind of fun. But then at the same time, there was a dialogue wheel thing, like Mass Effect style happening, where you could pick which quibby response you wanted to use to, like, discuss things with Groot and the team. And I was just like, I don't know. Maybe I'll get it <laughs> if I'm feeling... Like, it. I think it all comes down... Yeah, like, it, I think it all comes down to how games as a service it feels. And if it does the mistakes that the Avengers did, then I think it'll be a mistake. If it doesn't, and it really leans into being a kind of fun single-player adventure, then I could kind of get behind it. Yeah, I think that's exactly where I land as well. If it's nice and standalone, it uh, can be enjoyed by, uh, you know, in a couple of sittings or wherever, you don't feel like you're running up against the grind of of uh, any of these sort of progression-based games, uh, then I think it'd be one to do. But it sort of feels like, yeah, cos- cosplay uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, a bunch of people you might see at one of these big conventions uh, playing it out. And, yeah, I will. I think I will be able to get past that. All right, let's jump into our final check, and I will tell you what I was excited about at uh, E3 2021. This is Mainstream by Pixel Sift. Okay, uh, for me, the thing that I actually was most excited about was not a game itself um it really was um the game pass and the real heavy emphasis that microsoft and bethesda gave uh, to the game pass at all of their reveals um you know at the end of every uh trailer that they showed off during their presentation it was like day one game pass this is coming to game pass you can do that all the stuff that's come out in the subsequent couple of days after e3 where they talk about how they're looking to bring the game pass the x cloud game streaming um to uh, older consoles to be able to be a smart uh, TV app that you plug a controller into or just hook up wirelessly and play that way. To me, I think that is honestly the most interesting thing that I've seen uh, that's coming out of uh, out of this convention that we could, uh, you know, really change the face of what games look like for the next couple of years. Uh, what do you all reckon? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I have had a couple of experiences with um, Xboxes. Uh, you know, streaming to phone stuff, uh, the the X Cloud streaming uh, in the past, and I, you know, I fiddled around with it for a, a couple minutes. But you know, I'm going to show my age here and just be a bit of a boomer and just be like, man, I'm just happy with a box. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I know that these things are expensive, but um, and that maybe you want to play on your commute. But 
man, can't, can't we just play? Can't we just play games in front of televisions? Why do we have to do them on the train as well? I don't know. It's 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 like I'm happy for I'm happy for them to to continue down that road and and to try all sorts of different things. But um, and I know that it opens up the doors to all sorts of different people, and that the consoles we have now are like prohibitively expensive but it doesn't necessarily speak to me personally yeah i kind of have to agree i'm very much the person that likes buying discs and having a console and that's just what i've always been but i do like the idea of the game pass game pass and how it can be more accessible for people who may not have access to all of that and it's definitely a cool idea being able to have all these new games like almost immediately being able to be accessed and also bring on old games as well it is a really cool idea but just probably not something that I'll jump into, but that's fine. I think what's really interesting is that we could see the idea of this at the X when the Xbox One was released. They talked a lot about having um, licenses that move between different machines, uh, being able to use the infrastructure of the cloud in order to allow you to play better quality games. You know, they were talking about offsetting some of that, um, you know, processing power to the cloud. Like that was what they were intending to do a generation ago, and it seems like now they've reached that point. And I think also for a lot of people, uh, the gaming gaming players are at that point now as well there was a lot of resistance when it was talked about you know not being able to resell your discs uh at your local game store and that doesn't seem to be as much of a problem now um people are much more into the idea of playing things getting a quick license and going from there um i think the other thing uh, about it is you know maybe it's the changing way that i play games in that i, I am less inclined to have time to sit in front of a um, you know, a TV for a, a long stretch of time, but being able to play little segments of it uh, on random things, uh, maybe if I'm sitting in bed uh, on on my phone, that actually really appeals to me. And being able to play the same games accessible across a number of devices is really, really interesting to me. So that that's what I really like about that particular uh, format. And it's not for me, I don't, you know, <laughs> unlike, unlike Adam, and we've had this discussion many times before, you know, I'm not interested in the, the 4k 120 Hertz or whatever. If it's a fun game and I can play it without, without lag, then that'll do it for me. Yeah. I mean, and I guess like nothing but respect for, you know, Microsoft that I guess, you know, saw what happened with the response to the Xbox one originally and, and they pivoted and they put in the work and they've just, they've built this, you know, um, you know, whole kind of uh, network of um of support for that for people like yourself tiani who who you know want to play that way and they're building that that world and even just things like you know smart delivery um you know providing upgrades to uh to across across generations of consoles i, I just think that like that that reduction of the kind of weird like customer hostility that they maybe had or at least the what that's how it played when those announcements were originally made with the xbox one um the reduction of that hostility and that kind of way more welcoming um you know uh that way more welcoming tone i think has really done them a lot of favors yeah i think this is really and that kind of nicely leads into my next point a bit that was sort of um slightly a bit more disappointing if if xbox is at the you know the very front edge the cutting edge of what um games as a, as, as a service games as um game delivery looks like nintendo really did feel in this particular one um like a couple of steps behind yes they've got all the goodwill of all these franchises, um, but they're not pushing it as what uh, we much as I would have expected. I mean, they never sort of had to, you know, they're not trying to push to the cutting edge, but, you know, I kind of came out of this um, uh, conference really hoping for more from Breath of the Wild too. Um, and there wasn't as much as I would have hoped. I did uh, sort of hope potentially there may have been the idea of, a, you know, a Switch Pro or something like that, because that handhold gameplay format really, really 
appeals to me. Um, and I, I didn't really see that from that particular one. Um, and, you know, that was some of the, the things that I sort of thought I, I never would really be fully into the Xbox thing um, and going against sort of Nintendo. But that's kind of the way it sort of played out. You know, there was enough in that, um, you know, the you could see the investment um, that was being made into really pushing itself to the front in that one. And Nintendo, yeah, we didn't hear anything about Pokemon. We didn't really hear uh very like I'd honestly think Breath of the Wild should have had much more than that. We didn't hear anything about the the Zelda 35th anniversary. Um, you know, the only thing in there that I thought was super duper exciting for me was just from pure nostalgia value, and that was playing the Advance War series again in uh, you know, a new format on the Switch. But you know, I've played those games, so uh, it, it isn't something that is a new entry into that series. It's a reboot of the first first two titles and that thing. So you know that that I, I was hoping a little bit more for, um, and it was one of the ones I was most excited for, and I kind of came out uh, thinking maybe this wasn't the particular e3 for me when it came to nintendo announcements yeah it seems like the only real thing that the breath of the wild 2 trailer gave us was a reinvigoration of the very tired weapon durability debate across video games discourse and twitter in general and it's like i just don't want to go through round 17 of should your sword break in those games oh and the answer is yes weapon durability is great um things for me that i was uh, really interested to learn more about um i, I really loved that there were a number of uh, companion streams uh, that kind of came out as part of this not part of the exact um e3 uh, expo but sort of the e3 season shall we say um all the stuff that's coming out from wholesome games i really thought was really cool i really liked that um uh, the Humble Games announcements came out. We saw it more, a bit more from an Australian game called Unpacking, um, which is being made uh, here locally, uh, which is just like a, you know, just a little organization game. Yeah, and, it, you know, and we've talked about this before, but, you know, the Wilmot's uh, Warehouse sort of idea of just organizing things as a, as a, as a sort of moment of zen um, seems like a really nice idea with a great art style as well. So, you know, lots of little pieces there that seemed like they're going to pay off. But, you know, whether or not E3, and this was the question that came up at the beginning of uh, when E3 got cancelled and all of these other ex exhibitions came on and the publishers themselves, the manufacturers themselves um, decided to run their own events. Is it as relevant as what it used to be? Well, you know, there's still plenty of opportunities for um, these companies to have their moment in the sun, um, to do their big splashy reveal. Who knows, in a month's time, we might see the Switch Pro uh, release uh, and they'll do it as their own big thing and they don't need to stand uh, in and amongst the rest of the crowd at something like E3. So, you know, I think it will be interesting to see what happens um, for this event into the future. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned things like uh, unpacking in Wilmot's Warehouse because I feel like the human brain just has a uh, like an inherent desire to group things together and to organize things. Um, and, you know, maybe just having a particular, a particular week in June um, where you can just, you know, be a real gamer um is just appealing to a lot of people you know you can put everything all in the one spot and maybe that's honestly the most valuable thing that e3 has going for it is the fact that people like to have things all happen at once and if they can you know at least pretend that they're the ones behind all of that then that'll maybe see them going okay uh for the future but you know, obviously things have been uh, heading downhill for them for a little while. And I think that's a really nice point to leave this particular episode of Mainstream. Thank you all for listening in. Um, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, you can do that by joining the Pixelsift Discord. Uh, that's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. What did you really love out of E3? What didn't, uh, you know, inspire you as much? And what, what do you surprise by? Uh, we'd love to hear that. That address again is pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. Um, and uh, 
if you like this, we've got another podcast as well. It's called Just Pixel Sift. You search for it in your podcast player. You should find it as well, uh, where we talk to game developers about what it takes to actually make games. So we talk about all these big releases and hard years of putting things out, um, where we find a little bit of the the process behind that, what it takes to get to that point where you can play something uh, in your hands. This is Mainstream episode 25. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds uh, for composing the Mainstream theme music. Uh, Adam, where can people find you online? Oh, that is a very good question. I guess I'm on Twitter these days. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, at Adam Christou on Twitter. Fiona? I'm also on Twitter at, at F-I-M-B underscore four. And Nicholas? Yeah, you know, I'm cursed. Twitter as well. You can find me, uh, Nick Kennedy, N-I-C-K Kennedy. And uh, yeah, well, you'll find me where that horrible blue bird hangs out. <laughs> or you well. can come to the nice, uh, fun place that is Discord uh, Pixelsif server, and we'll all be there as well, so you can find us on that. Uh, while you're on uh, social media, uh, you can find Pixelsif on whatever platform you like, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just give us a search. Um, and tell your friends, if you like the show, uh, if you enjoyed it uh, and you think that uh, you'd like to hear more and you think your friends would enjoy it, please share it with them. Uh, tell them that you that, that you think this is cool because uh, that means more than anything else, more than a rating and a review. If you recommend it to your friend, that's the best way uh, for people to find our show. And we'll love you forever for it. That's all for this episode of Mainstream. Until next time, have fun. <laughs>